Hello and welcome to End Goals, an LCMS Youth Ministry podcast. I'm host Reverend Mark Kiesling and I'm with DCE Juliana Schultz. We're here to bring parents, church workers, and lead leaders discussions and resources to help your youth ministry meet its end goal, which is young people who are disciples of Jesus Christ for life. Today, we start a short series on apologetics and begin with the basics of Christian worldview. Christian apologetics helps us to engage two of those seven practices of healthy youth ministry. One practice is helping young people develop a resilient identity in Christ. A resilient identity responds in a healthy way to challenges to the Christian faith. And we might respond with humility to people who have different beliefs. Resiliency might be seen when a young person is confronted with a spiritual question and they go first to God's word or trusted sources or people in their church to wrestle with those answers. As we often say, it's not if, but when a young person's faith in Christ will face challenge. Challenge may be from a teacher or professor, friend or acquaintance, or a social media influencer, but the challenge will come. The other practice apologetics engages is helping with deeply understanding their baptismal faith. Anyone studying Christian apologetics will will more deeply understand the baptismal faith. Apologetics will always center on scripture and then so many areas of study that will come into focus, philosophy, science, history, law, and of course, the study of human nature and human limitations. Most likely any high schooler is already running up against questions that require a deeper understanding of scripture and theology. We know that they are asking a lot of very hard questions, ones I feel like I wasn't even asking, uh, particularly when I was (laughs) their age. Uh, And Christian families in the church have an important role in walking alongside young people when their faith is challenged, working to point them to resources, to lower anxiety about not necessarily always having the answers right away. Uh, Parents in the church can also prepare young people for the upcoming challenges to their faith, whether it be in the classroom, in the workplace, or in relationships. We stand on God's truth, and we connect young people to the gospel and to God's assurances. So diving into these issues can be daunting. So we bring in, as we always do, people much smarter smarter. than us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why we wanted to bring along some great resources onto the podcast. And we're starting by talking about our Christian worldview. All of us can be equipped with foundational understanding of that Christian worldview to give to young people as a filter as they consume media and information. And we can also help guide young people to think critically about the issues of their day and help them to appreciate God's word, our doctrine, and confession of the faith um, in an unbelieving world. Joining us today to discuss the Christian worldview are Dr. Brad Allis and Reverend Joe Cox. Dr. Brad Allis is an assistant professor of education at Concordia University, Wisconsin, graduated from Concordia University, Nebraska with a bachelor's degree in education and received his master's degree in Christian education from Concordia University, Chicago. Brad earned his doctorate in education in leadership, innovation, and continuous improvement from Concordia University, Wisconsin. He is a frequent Bible study teacher and speaker at local, state, and national youth gatherings, as well as youth worker, teacher, and pastor conferences. His passion for God's work comes through clearly in his teaching style. His family lives in Germantown, Wisconsin. Reverend Joe Cox is a campus pastor and director of curriculum at Lutheran High School South in St. Louis, Missouri. He teaches English and theology and coaches the school's mock trial team. Joe is married to Barb and they have two adult children. In his free time, Joe enjoys playing board games and traveling. Joe graduated from the University of Michigan with a bachelor's degree in general studies, concentrating in political science, English, and religious studies. Then he earned his master's of divinity at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. In 2022, Joe became a fellow of the International Academy of Apologetics, Evangelism, and Human Rights in Strasbourg, France. Thanks for joining us. We're glad to be here. Uh, so we got so to hear a little bit about you briefly in the intro, but tell us more uh, about yourself, your vocations, your roles in youth ministry, and things that bring you joy. 
Well, let me start with joy because that's that's really, I think, what brings us here. And for me, it really is the fact that I get a chance to serve every single day in the lives of young people, particularly in the classroom. That That is what I get up in the morning to do, to be able to go in and recognize that on one hand, I have this parental role, if you will, uh, the teachers have, and yet I'm also approaching it as an older brother in Christ. And so I get a chance to really share the faith, to share my experiences, and to challenge my students, my younger siblings, in terms of how they look at the world and recognizing that I get the opportunity to be part of God shaping them for the vocations that he's already preparing them for. And so that's really where I find my joy is that interaction and that being able to be someone who's there um, to provide a guiding force, to show forgiveness, to show love, and, and also to learn from them and really mm-hmm. be a part of their lives. That for me is joy right there. Awesome. How about you, Dr. Alice? Well, this is my 35th year of teaching, and uh, I've always told people I've got the greatest job in the world because I spend it all day with young people. For 28 years, I was in two Lutheran high schools and I had a chance to share God's word and, as uh, Pastor Cox said, uh, grow with the students, uh, get to know them and uh, walk with them as they uh, develop a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and now, in the last seven years, I've been in the School of Education at Concordia University, Wisconsin. And again, I, I've got the greatest job in the world. I'm with young people and I'm preparing them to enter into public education or Lutheran education and uh, helping them grow in body, mind, and spirit. That's awesome. Well, we're certainly thankful for all the work that you both do. Um, I know Dr. Alice spoken at many LCMS youth gatherings, always one of the favorites for not only our youth, but also our adult leaders too, or who I want to be those people who are walking with young people through the challenges of life, but also the great joys of being able to walk along young people too, and the way that you equip them. So we're so thankful for all that you do. Dr. Alice, I'm going to come back to you with our first question, talking and diving into apologetics. How do you define apologetics? And why did you get interested in the field? What was the need that you saw or what really got you interested to be studying apologetics? Apologetics is a defense of your beliefs and actions. And so why do you believe what you do? Uh, why do you act the way that you do? All right. It's it's not just what do you believe, but why? All right. So defense of your beliefs and actions. And I got interested in it by accident. So 35 years ago, when I first started teaching at Concordia Lutheran High School in Tomball, Texas, just north of Houston, I had three art classes. I had three religion classes. And there were students in the religion class who would ask questions like, how do you know the Bible's true? And how do you know Jesus existed? And how do you know that dinosaurs uh, are, are part of God's creation. And was there a global flood? And some of these things I could answer just like that off the top of my head. And other things I said, you know, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to research that and get back to you. And when I started my second year, it was more of the same types of questions. And when I started my third year, it was more of the same types of questions. Mm-hmm. And so it took me three years, but I finally got my act together and I realized, <laughs> you know what we ought to do? We ought to make sure that we're addressing these fundamental questions that everyone has. And so I started developing an apologetics unit. And by the time in my fourth year I started teaching it, it grew and grew and grew. And eventually it became a 12-week unit where we dealt with apologetics and worldview. Because I realized as I went from 
Concordia Lutheran High School in Tomball, Texas, back to my alma mater, Milwaukee Lutheran High School in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, same types of questions. And, and even as I speak around the country in, in 24 different states, even when I'm de- dealing with adults, it's the same thing. We all have questions and there's nothing wrong with that. And so let's look to God's inspired and errant word for the answers. Right. Pastor Cox, how about you? Yeah. Um, and for me, it goes back to actually my time in college now, and maybe even before that, I didn't have the opportunity. I'll take that back. I had the opportunity, uh, but not the parenting to push me (laughs) to go to a Lutheran high school. So I went to a public high Mm -hmm. school where a lot of my questions, I I just didn't have anybody to go to to wrestle with. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of floundering when I got um, to the university. That's where the push really happened. And, And in particular, it was a course called ancient and medieval political thought. Hmm. And I remember one class in particular, we had to read a number of selections out of the Bible. And the class starts off with the teacher saying, well, we know that this isn't true. Hmm. So why do we think this was written? And I'm talking about a class of about 70 persons and I don't know, eight or nine hands, including my own go up immediately. Wait, wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. This is true. But I didn't have the ability. I wasn't equipped to be able to answer. And so we get into that definition of apologetics. And like Dr. Alice said, it's literally from this word apology, which means to defend. Mm -hmm. And particularly first Peter, we're called to be able and be prepared to defend the hope that we have. And so it goes right back to when the reality of Christ's story, his incarnation, his death, his resurrection are are called into question and hopefully called into question because people see the hope we Mm -hmm, have mm -hmm. as a result of the truth of that, Mm -hmm. that we have an opportunity to share with them that story that literally changes lives. So um, I went to my campus pastor and he provided me with a couple of resources and I just kind of went down a rabbit hole, so to speak, <laughs> Easy to do. as I got sucked into <laughs> yeah. a lot of those resources. And before I knew it, the Lord was bringing all kinds of people knocking on my door who wanted mm-hmm. to tell me about a Jesus who wasn't the Jesus of the Bible. And so it just grew and grew. And now it really is a passion to make sure that our students are inoculated in mm-hmm. a sense as they head out into particularly those mainstream universities, mm-hmm. even though I was there 30 years ago mm-hmm. and I remember what it was like then we need to be sure as much as possible that our students are prepared for the challenges that they're going to encounter. And so that's where I find the real thrill in apologetics. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of those terms we're going to hear a lot in apologetics is worldview. So how do you define worldview and how does it impact our daily living? By definition, a worldview is the truth claims that explain the world and reality. The truth claims that explain the world and reality. The easiest way that I teach it is it's a map. It's a mental map that people have, right? So when you watch Dora the Explorer, right? <laughs> She's got the map, right? I'm the map, I'm the map, I'm the map. And so that map helps Dora make sense of her uh, adventure and, and what she's got to accomplish. And so when we understand that there are truth claims that people have that explain the world in reality, this mental map people are walking around with. And so sometimes uh, unconsciously they've absorbed the assumptions that some of these worldviews have 
what we have to help people understand is you do have one, whether you recognize it or not, and let's check your worldview map against reality. And what we're going to do is this, we're going to find out that Christianity fits reality better than anything else because it's the truth. And so that's one way to approach this, to help people understand you're carrying a mental map. It's helping you make sense of reality. And the Bible is true. It's your guidebook to help you understand you're a sinner in need of a savior. And this is how you should navigate your life as you uh, move towards heaven through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's really hard to follow that up. Um, <laughs> really, that unpacks it. Um, maybe a couple of nuances, too, in my observations, especially as our society has continued to splinter, in a sense, through uh, the permeation of technology that allows us to go in many different directions and have so many different voices speaking to us all at once that I think it's even difficult oftentimes to talk about a worldview, but rather to recognize that many of us, and, and, and it's always easy to say many of you, uh, but to be open to the fact that it's true of myself as well, we have multiple worldviews that sometimes even unconsciously we apply depending on the situation we're in. And so that even though that's somewhat unconscious, we're good at jumping from worldview to worldview to suit the needs of the moment rather than having a very intentional worldview that we have critically assessed and find to be a right and proper explanation of reality and incongruence with reality. And then we use that worldview to guide us when reality throws up the roadblocks that come along with living in a sinful world. Right. I can imagine, I think of, it's so easy to hear you hear so often to say to like, to speak your truth when, and Years ago, we would have said, speak your opinion, maybe, not necessarily your truth. Um, and now when that gets played into what is that true worldview that even price and wrestling for young Christians to even say within the context of a Christian worldview, whereas theirs and wrestling with all those specifics that comes to an individual trying to figure that out. And so want to start there to talk about when you talk about the Christian worldview that maybe again, where most Christians are gonna be able to belong to. Maybe maybe specifically talk about the Lutheran worldview, that there'd be some things doctrinally or theologically we'd focus on. And this will be kind of a longer answer between the two of you here a little bit. Like, where would you start in talking about what are those basics that when we start to put those filters up, when we start those things, when they're checking in with what is reality, what are those things that you're seeing uh, is important for like our audience to be helping their young people see in a Christian worldview? Uh, maybe Joe, start with you a little bit and then Dr. Alice. Sure. So, on one hand, when you go, when one goes to the seminary, one of the things uh, that is emphasized is uh, there's some philosophical terms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there are different principles of thinking, but essentially it comes down to this, that scripture is the source of God's revelation of mm-hmm. his love to the world. And scripture is properly understood within the context of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself even makes this clear at the end of Luke when he's walking on the road to Emmaus and he's unpacking the scriptures, the Old Mm -hmm. Testament, and showing how they all point to him. That what we really need to do is start with a recognition that the Jesus story, and by calling it a story, I'm not saying it's not history, 
But the reality of that historical event is the interpretive lens by mm -hmm. which we can understand all reality. Mm -hmm. And from there, we're able to have a solid view of, of what the world is really like, not just from uh, the sense of what we can see and encounter with our senses, but even that supernatural mm -hmm. world, which is beyond our senses and yet still revealed to us in so much as it really matters to us through God's word. That's the starting point for me in terms of unpacking how do I start building this Christian worldview. Now, I, I want to be very clear that I'm coming at things differently than one might hear in the world today. For example, many well-meaning Christians are going to start with Genesis. They're going mm -hmm. to start with the, the truth of a six-day creation and how God speaks creation to the world. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not denying that by any means. But that doesn't become the interpretive principle. Rather, it's through Christ mm -hmm. that even that creation of the world has meaning. Mm -hmm. And so I think having Christ first and foremost is really key to building that Christian mm -hmm. worldview. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Dr. Alice. So if we take this concept of a mental map that people are navigating, a map covers an area. And so if I show you a map of Milwaukee, I can show you the different highways, Lake Michigan, et cetera, et cetera. So everyone's got a mental map and the area, this acrostic area, assumption, reality, ethics, and answers are what people have. And so the assumption that everyone begins with is simply either God is or God isn't. So God exists or God does not. And so there are so many uh questions that can be answered when we get to the to the starting assumption that people have. And that's one thing to begin with. Find out, do people believe that God exists or not? The R in the acrostic area stands for reality. Is there a natural realm alone, just matter, atoms and the like, or is there a supernatural realm as well? And so if there's just a natural realm, there is no supernatural realm of angels and demons, God, the devil, but as Christians, we understand that God is and that there is a natural and a supernatural realm. And you see it in the very first verse in the Bible, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The E in the acrostic area stands for ethics. And so when it comes to how we should live, how we should navigate our lives with this map, moral absolutes say there are certain rights and wrongs. And so I use the example of goalposts. And so you know when a kick is through the goalpost, it's good. And if it's left, right, or short, it's no good. All right. So God has established what is in line with his will. And so moral absolutes are universals for everybody. If there is no God, if God doesn't exist, and there's just this natural realm, then we would tend towards the ethics of moral relativism, that we each decide right and wrong for ourselves. There is no moral lawgiver for all of us. And so it's up to us as individuals. And then finally, the A in area answers, everyone wants to know basic questions. They want to know our origin. They want to know our purpose. They want to know our destiny. They want to know where we came from, our origin. They want to know our purpose. Why are we here? They want to know our destiny. What's going to happen when we die? And so what we can do is take God's inspired and errant word and share the truth with them that God created us. We sinned and now sin has entered into the world. And so through Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, creating that faith in us, we can have a relationship with him. So when we die, we'll be with him forever in heaven. 
And so to answer those questions that people have, that's essential because we're all walking around and wondering about these things. But sadly, there are people who have got a map and they've started with the wrong assumption. There's no God. It's just a natural world. We decide right and wrong ourselves and we're just going to live and die and that's it. And so there is a hope that we have yeah. that satisfies this spiritual longing. Is this all that we are? Is there anything more? And the answer is yes. In Christ, you were made to live in relationship with him for now and eternity. Wow. There's a lot to that, right? And I, I really appreciate that you guys help us spell that out, particularly for youth leaders, because I think as you guys pointed out at the top of the episode, like young people are asking a lot of the questions and coming up with a lot of the answers that are formulating their map, that are formulating that worldview. Uh, so why is it important that in youth ministry and in families, we're helping young people to understand that Christian worldview and be able to explain it themselves? So... As you ask that, I think it's really important to start with a recognition that the asking of these difficult questions is not a sign of lack of faith. And in fact, I'm going to maybe poke the bear a little bit. In the 20 some years that I've been teaching, one of the most devastating things I have encountered is some of our smartest, some of our brightest and best students have been shut down in their faith because they've asked questions mm -hmm. that the adults they've asked haven't even thought to ask. Mm -hmm. And they're simply told, you just have to believe. Mm -hmm. And they are so beaten up by well-meaning people yeah. that they have literally, as ninth graders, walked into my classroom already assuming that Christianity is not a place for questions and Christianity right. is not a place for thinking. And that's the exact opposite right. of what our God calls us to. And that's what I want to encourage anybody is when you have somebody who's asking the difficult questions, even when those difficult questions are based on personal struggles that they have, our God is big enough right. to handle these questions. And if he's not, he's just not God. Um, but there are some very typical type questions. Um, and I think to some degree they've stayed the same. Mm -hmm. Um, Dr. Ellis mentioned earlier, uh, the questions about a worldwide flood and how do we know the Bible is God's word? How do we know that Jesus really lived? And those are perennial questions with us, but I've really come to believe after all the years, and I'm sure I said it when I was a teenager that, you know, oh, you just don't understand. The world's not like it was when you were my age. I think that's really true today. <laughs> yeah. Unlike yeah. ever before, at least in, in recent history, that, that what our students are dealing with in terms of the barrage of messages just simply didn't exist and wasn't something I had to wrestle with. So there are... Um, I think to some degree a, a confusion or a wrestling with personal empathy versus social empathy. And what I mean by this is our students are really good at holding on to uh, the cause du jour and being able to stand up for people who represent that cause. But because of the anonymity of social media, not necessarily so good at actually showing empathy to individuals. 
And, and with that kind of a lack of self-awareness, in the same way, there's this confusion of literal sin as described by Scripture is that which is outside of God's will and these things that are societal sins. And sometimes that which is considered a societal sin, like saying no uh, to certain agendas, is actually in keeping with God's word and, and so forth. And so we really need to help guide our students on how to address these key right. issues that are coming up, uh, whether it be issues of, say, homosexuality, transgenderism. Or those are kind of the big issues that are current right now. But being able to tackle whatever it comes. Um, I also think our kids just simply to some degree have been protected. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they have a fear of failure. Mm -hmm. And there is such a need to succeed. And everybody has to get an A. Uh, that there's a lack of reality um, that sometimes when students finally have to face it or young people have to face it, it is so overwhelming because they've been protected for so long. They haven't built up those natural abilities to deal with disappointment or to be able to readjust when things don't go so well, um, which, again, doesn't necessarily sound like a spiritual issue. But it does come to play when they're wrestling with this Christian faith of, of uh, sorry, when they're wrestling with the reality of being both a sinner and a saint who continues to wrestle with that sinful nature and finds failure and yet finds redemption in Christ. I think it helped them understand, too, when maybe an earlier understanding of scripture or of life falls apart or they just mature is to help them understand that next step to understand that doesn't mean everything falls apart in the faith, but yet how do you grow in it um, into that next level of understanding or whatever it might be in a life experience. But absolutely, I, I do do with the topics. I, I mean, now I feel like to try to keep up with how do we encourage young people? I wish I would have mastered or I wish I would have majored in philosophy and law and biochem and like all these things to be like all the questions that they have information about and can inundate them to where like, it really does. Like I can understand people listening to this podcast saying like, how do I, how can I be experts on all of this? And reality is you, you can't. You can't. And that's where you got to come back and be those filters. So Dr. Alice, how about you? How about through your years in high school, but then also maybe on the college campus too? Yeah, it's important for students to understand uh, a Christian worldview because we're inundated with all these different worldviews in this pluralistic society. And as you mentioned before, Mark, your truth, all right? Uh, it's true for you. It's just not true for me, all right? And speak your truth. So this postmodern culture in which we live has got all these uh, assumptions and, and uh uh, ideologies that are bombarding our kids and like sponges, we just kind of soak it in unless we do what scripture calls us to do. And that's to, to think and, and to uh, decide as you weigh things against scripture, test everything, hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil, First Thessalonians 5. And so to help kids to be able to weigh through things and to think biblically about the assumptions that people have, their statements about reality, ethics, and the like, uh, that's essential. So understanding what we believe, but also understanding what others believe is vital as well. And so I appreciate uh, Summit Ministries, for example, has, has wonderful um, uh, curricula for grade school, middle school, and high school uh, that deals with the worldviews that, that make the West go around. So, for example, besides Christianity, what is the Islamic worldview? 
and the cosmic humanist worldview or new age worldview. What is secular humanism? What's Marxism? What's postmodernism? And what I found helpful was to expose my seniors at Milwaukee Lutheran High School to that because as the graduates were going to head out, they were going to see that even more and more on college campuses. But uh, it's, it's essential that we equip our, our students to understand the times in which they live and all these different worldviews that are there. And again, measure those against what the inspired word of God says. Absolutely. So talking about that piece with the word of God, and you guys have mentioned it in different answers, obviously the source of the Christian worldview is Holy Scripture found in the Bible. Um, where do you start? I mean, you guys have had the opportunity maybe and the advantage to have in a classroom setting, number of weeks you can place out. A lot of our people listening to this don't have that. You know, it's going to be more Sunday morning throughout the week connect. But when you talk about having the word of God be that source for a worldview, where have you generally started in that? Where would you point them to? Obviously, you talked about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus uh, being one of those places that you would point to being, a, being really the focal point of how we talk about everything. Um, or is there any way when you've done this that you've used like specific teaching methods to give that focus to a Christian worldview and developing that when we look at uh, using God's word to develop it? When you talk about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that becomes the starting point because, again, that is the lens for all of Scripture. And that is our way of being able to then take the reality of how God has dealt with this mm -hmm. fallen world mm -hmm. and given us hope in it. Um, so I do very much start there. And one of the things that's useful, and you mentioned being an expert in all of these different <laughs> areas, um, while that's impossible, maybe we can drive our expertise right there. That that story of Christ and recognizing that it holds historical mm -hmm. water. So for example, there are lots of resources out where you can go and look and you can see how the Gospels in particular, uh, there is so much evidence that is overwhelming as to the historicity of the Gospels and their truthfulness. And then as you unpack that and see that the story, the death, the resurrection, all really ties in and there's no better explanation for the empty tomb except that God really rose Jesus from the dead. Jesus, who claimed to be God, did exactly what he'd say. And that unlocks how we can start looking at these things and we can take seriously that when, when Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount calls us to be salt and light, calls us uh, to not just focus on the Ten Commandments as don't do these physical things, don't just murder, don't just put a knife in your neighbor, but don't even hate your neighbor in your heart, that that starts to transform who I am. Now, a, a second aspect of this, too, is I, going back to Genesis. We have mankind created in the image of God, God who takes on human form and becomes true man has imposed his image upon us. And so that also, if we take it seriously, I think speaks volumes to young people today in terms of the equality among human beings that they mm -hmm. seek. Mm -hmm. And we don't find different classifications of human beings whose value comes from their identity group, but rather that all human beings are equal in honor and value and dignity, even the ones we don't agree with, even the ones we don't like, even the <laughs> ones we find despicable. Mm -hmm. And now I'm called to love them like Christ loved me. Yeah. 
And, and that starts, I think, to have a transformative impact as the spirit works through the word. Awesome. I agree with what Pastor Cox said about focusing on Christ and the historicity of Jesus, again, goes back to the assumption God is or isn't. And so did Jesus of Nazareth exist? Yes. And so let's look at the historical records outside the Bible that point to his existence and then help kids understand he's either Lord or liar or lunatic, as C.S. Lewis brought up. Mm-hmm. And so to explore these different aspects of Jesus and then go back and look at the, these questions that people have, for example, about origin. So let's look, compare and contrast creation and evolution. Let's look at the Genesis account and let's take a look at what science can tell us, but what science cannot tell us. And let's uh, be able to answer those questions. And then purpose. Why are we here? Do we just live and die and that's it? You get one ride on the merry-go-round of life and that's it? Or is there something greater that we're here for? So to help answer those questions, I think Genesis is is a huge thing to understand, as Pastor Cox has has mentioned. When you understand we're made in the image of God, it doesn't matter what the, the amount of melanin you have in your skin, whether you're red, yellow, black, or white, we're all created, but we're all fallen, but all can be redeemed through Christ. And so I find it amazing when you look back at Genesis, how these fundamental aspects of God's creation are being rejected today. So not just the, the uh, issue of marriage, but uh, now the gender issue right? Uh, clothing and how people uh, will continue to move away from, you know, clothing themselves in public and, and doing all sorts of things. The list goes on and on and on. The fundamentals of God's plan for us is set up there. And so focus first on Christ, look at origins, look at purpose, look at destiny. And again, uh, starting in Genesis, seeing how God's plan for our lives is laid out with his order and his purpose. Yeah. So helpful. And, um, you know, certainly we want to talk about the Bible as the, the place where we get our, our Christian worldview. Uh, but we also know that there are lots of other texts and resources outside of the Bible that can be helpful for us in understanding and teaching this. I know I've used Dr. Alley's books. Um, <laughs> and certainly we'll leave a link to those. They're incredibly helpful for me in teaching young people um, available from Concordia. Uh, but what are some of your favorite fiction or nonfiction books or resources to go to when exploring or explaining that Christian worldview or even conflicting worldviews? Well, I'm, I'm going to acknowledge my nerd, inner nerd here. Good, please. We like that. <laughs> um, my inner nerd and my inner geek. Yeah. Um, in terms of fiction, my go-to book is A Tale of Two Cities huh? by Charles Dickens. Mm-hmm. And, and I, that's going to be a deep one. I get it. Um But I don't think I've ever found a better tale of secular vicarious satisfaction where one man takes the place of another man on the gallows Mm. and is willing to literally stand in his place, even to the point that as he's considering this action, he's walking through the streets of Paris and repeating to himself uh, Jesus' words in John. I am the resurrection and the life. Um, it's for me, it's overpowering to see that kind of love. And, and again, there's so much that Dickens does with that and, and how he plays with the metaphor of resurrection and so forth. Um, but I don't know how useful that maybe is in a regular Sunday morning Bible study. Um, I'm fortunate enough like that that actually would work in mine. If they can get them to read it. Right. right? Um, right. But the superhero 
a lot of the superhero stories, mm-hmm. uh, Superman just lends himself mm-hmm. so incredibly. Um, and in a sense, I think if you look into the origins of where the whole Superman story mm-hmm. came from, it was a manifestation of a messianic desire from a couple of high school kids mm-hmm. uh, who were seeing their Jewish brothers and sisters being rounded up across the ocean mm-hmm. and seeing that rise of anti-Semitism. Um, more recent, iRobot with Will Smith. And once again, you have a character uh, who's a robot. Actually, you have two Christ figure characters, one of whom is a robot. So you wrestle with the whole issue uh, of the dual nature. Is he human? Is he robot? Much like mm-hmm. Christ. Is he God? Is he man? Yes. Um, and, and so these things really help open up within uh, the modern mind a chance to engage at these higher levels that we oftentimes think, oh, well, that's just the kind of stuff you think about at the seminary. We wouldn't talk about that in a Bible study. That's too deep. No, actually, the people who are writing these stories aren't stupid. They know what they're doing and it behooves us to be able to help unpack and again guide our students and help them to appreciate the depth even of contemporary entertainment mm-hmm. and how it can be used to point to truth. Mm-hmm. I like to give my uh, students an assignment when we're looking at different worldviews and teaching the faith class here at Concordia and I say I need you to bring in a cultural example of some of the worldviews we've examined, non-Christian mm-hmm. worldviews. Mm-hmm. And it could be a book, it could be a video game, could be a movie, television show, whatever, and analyze it. What is the worldview at play here? And then give a biblical response to it. And the students really enjoy doing that because this is what we swim in. We, we are exposed to all these worldviews, but they're packaged and very, and very artfully uh, in the form of literature or music, television, movie, etc. Uh, and so, for example, um, sometimes just to start off that assignment, I'll, I'll show them uh, a picture of Luke Skywalker and Simba from The Lion King. And I'll say, what do these two characters have in common? And the students will brainstorm through it all. And it's always fun to hear their comparisons. And eventually we'll get down to, to one of the, the commonalities between them. They both have the dead speak to them and give them guidance for their mm-hmm. life. And then we lead into a discussion of cosmic humanism or new age and the belief that eventually you'll take the next step in evolution and become a spirit guide. And you could be like Obi-Wan Kenobi and and guide Luke Skywalker, or you could be like Mufasa and come back and and, and tell Simba what to do. Remember. And so to help kids understand, you are bombarded by these worldviews everywhere. And like a sponge, you will soak them in unless you think biblically. Unless you do First Thessalonians, test everything, hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil. So it's not to say you can't watch Star Wars or you can't watch Lion King. That's not what I'm saying at all. But it's to help kids understand you're, you're called to discern and understand we're in the world. We're not of the world, but we're sent to the world, as Jesus said in his high priestly prayer. And so if you're going to go to the world, you got to understand their worldview and then diagnose what's what's being taught here and offer a biblical solution, which will fit reality much better. If I can just tag onto that ever so briefly too, 
that when we're talking about looking at worldviews, and especially as our students encounter them in culture, it's really easy to pick out a song, to pick out a TV show, and focus on the manifest sin that is celebrated in those things. Worldview is deeper than that. And so it is much more difficult. It's not just a matter of saying, oh, well, this violates the sixth commandment. But to recognize there is a driving assumption behind that. Um, and that does take a little more depth and a little bit more patience. But I think it's a lot more satisfying when we approach these young people with the assumption that they're smart enough to get it if we're willing to work with them and, and, and have patience and that they're going to start seeing things that we've missed. I think that's something, a shift that I've seen. I felt, and even here, your doctor, I'll talk about your experience in the classroom. I felt growing up that many of those pressures were more moral questions for me. And so maybe, I don't know if it's fair to say it's a little bit more straightforward, um, you know, that I understood what I was going to do because I'm a follower of Jesus and what's in scripture where I think, I think it has like where, where high school students are dealing with or the big questions like you did, we're dealing with in college. And now it's down a whole series later. It's high school students that are now dealing with those deeper foundational things that maybe were more reserved for college at my age. And so that's where the church has to be prepared for that. I think parents, teachers, pastors, everyone to say, to help our young people to be okay with that, be comfortable with it, not give that simple answer. Like you said, some people had seen and also no understand. We're not going to have all the answers either. We haven't been trained in all these things, but yet be that welcoming place for those questions, be able to point them to Jesus and walk alongside them. Um, and doing that, I think is a, a shift that certainly has happened in our culture. And I think there's less shared culture. I'm going to jump in and then I'm going to let other people do it. I think there's less shared culture too, yeah, right? right? So you guys are talking about movies um, may, that maybe not everyone or books. I'm not sure how many people have, have listened to the Tale of Two Cities. And so sometimes those questions are going to seem like they're going to come out of nowhere because they're a, a, a three-minute TikTok I heard that's been sitting in my brain mm -hmm. for two weeks. And now I'm finally able to vocalize. I finally analyzed this enough, but I'm not going to be able to be able to point back to that, right? So sometimes you're also working with sources that are speaking into their worldview that are, are coming from a lot of different perspectives and are coming very fast, more than maybe we experienced yep, when we yep, were young. Yep. Absolutely. And one of the things I found in teaching was students want to ask questions and they want to know that you're open to them and you welcome them. So what I did after my, uh, in my fourth year of teaching, I started to uh, begin class with question and answer time. And so after I would pray and take attendance, which was the only reason I got into teaching, to take attendance, right? <laughs> um, so after I would pray and take attendance, then I'd say, hey, do you have any questions? Do you have Bible questions? Do you have contemporary issues questions? Do you have doctoral questions, spiritual questions, anything? And so sometimes we'd, we'd spend the whole class dealing with various questions that kids had. Other times there was none, and we would just go on with the lesson that I had planned. And when kids would evaluate the course every six weeks, they would say, we love question and answer time because we can ask you anything. And if you don't know the answer, you'll research and get back to us. And I think if we just open that up to kids and as, as church workers, what we can do is say, hey, write them on a three by five card. I'll look at them and then we'll answer them next week or I'll answer what I can now and then the rest I'll get to and, 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 and uh, formulate the answer uh, when I've got a, a more of a resource for you. So to, to let the kids know that it's okay to have questions. And as pastor said before, it doesn't mean that you don't have faith. It's just, you're wondering, 
Mm-hmm. We saw something on TikTok. Is that true? Well, let's talk about that. Let's be open to that. Well, besides your personal favorites, what are resources you might suggest for a youth worker or youth who want to study more about Christian worldview or apologetics? Dr. Alice. I mentioned before Summit Ministries. I found them very helpful uh, with their uh, curriculum. It's been over 50 years. They're out of uh, Colorado Springs in, uh, in uh, Colorado, and uh, they've got wonderful resources for middle school and high school and the like. And so what you can do is uh, use their resources. And what I found is um, take portions of it and use that to help kids understand. So, for example, as I mentioned before, the worldviews that make the West go around, Christianity, Islam, New Age, secular humanism, postmodernism, Marxism, and to examine these on a, on a very robust level through 10 different spheres. So, for example, theology and philosophy, uh, ethics, psychology, sociology, politics, law, history, economics. Uh, there's a lot there to, to look at through their curriculum. And so there may be just sections of it that you want to deal with. Let's just look at the theology of those, those uh, different worldviews. You could do it that way. But to help kids understand that you're going to see these things and one of the best examples I saw at Milwaukee Lutheran High School when we had a professional learning team and we had teachers who uh, joined our worldviews, uh, worldview professional learning team, just to examine what these were and understand it. Uh, there was an English teacher who said, you know what, I-, I didn't realize until after taking this professional learning team that these worldviews are out there and, and they're embedded in all sorts of things. And now my antennas are up and I can spot them more readily. So I found Summit Ministries to be very helpful in being able to diagnose what these other worldviews are and then giving, again, a biblical response to them. I'm just writing down the recommendation for Summit <laughs> Ministries here. <laughs> so thank you. Um, a place to start, it, it is so overlooked, but on one level, going back to the small catechism mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and really using that as a resource and not in necessarily the typical catechetical way, I realize, especially we're talking young people who, mm-hmm. let's say they've grown up in the church and they've gone through two mm-hmm. or three years of mm-hmm. confirmation and they're going to say, oh, but I already had to memorize it and mm-hmm. and so forth. But to go back and recognize that what Luther gets to, especially in the answers to the questions, really becomes a, a diving board to get into the deeper mm-hmm. uh, questions. In terms of apologetics, when I first and I didn't even know what this was. I just knew I was looking mm-hmm. for answers. And uh, the two books that got me going, one that I think would be very user-friendly, even for younger people, is Evidence That Demands a Verdict mm-hmm. by Josh McDowell. It's a, at this point, I think it's fair to call it a classic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and then also a little bit deeper, but still getting at that core issue of the reality of, or the historicity of Christ in the Gospels, uh, originally published as History in Christianity, and now it's republished as Law, History, and Christianity by John Warwick Montgomery, I, I think are two really valuable resources as far as that goes. In terms of worldview, and this gets a little bit more challenging, and now I'm getting even outside the realm of, of faith, mm-hmm. um, there is a book that is probably, I don't know, five or six years old now called The Coddling of the American yes. uh-huh. Youth. Uh, say that right? Yeah. The Coddling of the American Mind. Mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 
I think it does a really good job at giving insights to what's going on in the worldview formation of our young people and a very even handed view. Um, one other one that's even more recent, and it's a response to Alan Bloom's closing of the American mind, which I'm going to be nice and not recommend for anybody who's not looking for deep philosophy, but is great. Um, Pete Hegseth recently released a book called uh, The Battle for the American Mind, and he focuses more so on the development of the educational system in America and how many of these worldviews that are antithetical to Christianity have become embedded in our educational system. And so that, again, is something that I think is really good for raising the antenna um, of seeing what's out there. Another resource that I found helpful was the books called The Answers Books by Answers in Genesis. Mm -hmm. And it's a four volume set and they're very helpful. But even if you didn't read the books, if you go to Answers in Genesis, their website has a tremendous amount of resources when it comes to basic questions people have about the Bible, about salvation in Christ, evolution, creation, flood, dinosaurs. There's a lot of resources there, videos, um, handouts, magazines, books, speakers. So again, that's a great resource, Answers in Genesis. And of course, our own synodical right. say, resources. Say, we'll put we'll put a lot of those in the show notes so. uh, for sure. Dr. Alice is your website, books, uh, CPH. I know. I mean, I think out of the out of the reason to talk about these things, even along with their confirmation process now adds like a whole nother level. I know that even gets used in the high school level for apologetics um, to start thinking about some of those things. So, I mean, I know they responded to requests coming from congregations and schools and things too. So there's some other things that we'll certainly post from eSource and other things that we have too about that we have right in our own um, wheelhouse in terms of really hearing that need for those types of resources to help young people think deeply. And I think us adults too, that maybe didn't get that <laughs> growing up in our education system to be able to walk along young people that way. Well, I'm so glad this is the start of a series because um, there's so much more for us to dive in. And we really appreciate your insights and in, um, in helping us get started in thinking about that, a Christian worldview. So thanks for joining us. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much. That gave me so much to think about, <laughs> right? I, um, I know that that can be really challenging, particularly without sort of advanced training to, to can think through um, not just apologetics, but how we understand worldview and we're thinking about how we're thinking. Uh, but I do appreciate that. And I think this is why we thought this series would be so important mm -hmm. is uh, just that we have young people who are being exposed to so many right. different worldviews, so many different truths or opinions or however you want to phrase it um and they're asking really hard questions mm -hmm. and rather than dismissing those questions we really want to see value in and asking and answering those questions because we know we have a god that has given us answers right. we know we right. have a worldview that stands up to scrutiny um, and helping young people to really think critically about how they think and about how other people think in a way to help them stand firm and resilient in our identity in christ yeah i appreciate you what, what i think pastor cox said about there is that weird juxtaposition of being inundated with all that information and yet sometimes maybe there's been this desire to sometimes maybe protect our kids too. And that that's going to come to an end at some point, uh, whether it's parents or our youth ministries, they're going to be going off on their own. And we want them to be those independent kids that go off on their own 
in the foundation that is God's word and their faith in Jesus. And so to really wrestle with that, but then also be aware, uh, aware of that and to prepare young people for if they're not facing it now, it's going to come. Um, so how do we give them again, those foundations, those place where they can return to um, with always at the center of it being Jesus. And because of what he's done for us, because of his life, death, and resurrection, uh, we can then see that his word of God is true and trustworthy um, and to not lose that and continue to really point everything through that to where, again, that's what uh, where we find our, our, our anchor. That's where we find our meaning of life. Um, that's where we find our strength to live through these days. And really, when those connections start to be made, watch the Holy Spirit work in the lives of our young people. I'm so thankful for adults who, again, don't always have all the answers, <laughs> and yet we'll point them to Jesus and we'll walk with them through those questions. And I can appreciate, as I'm listening to both of these incredible men talk about the the ideas of worldview and apologetics going, you know what, as an adult, sometimes I need to right. be reminded oh, to yeah. think about my map, to right. be critical right. about my map, to be critical about the messages that I'm getting um, and the ways that I'm thinking about it. How do I think about ethics? How do I think about mm-hmm. how I answer those key um fundamental questions. Um, and so sometimes w- starting to think about worldview has to start with as a teacher, mm-hmm. as a youth leader, me understanding my own right. worldview right. Right. and what's formed it, what shaped it, what does it look like? What does that map um, look like for me so that I can then better explain um, where we see it in other places and particularly where we see it as a Christian. Yeah. And that, and that leaves that level of humility too, in your teaching um, yeah. to be able to walk alongside a young person. I was has those questions and wrestling with the information that um, they're being inundated with that, you know, we too have to walk through that and humbly walk with them and, and understanding those things that are pulling on us and our thoughts and in, in everyday life. Yeah. Because just as my you know, young people are being influenced by influencers, mm-hmm. yep. I am influenced by influencers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people around me and my neighbors and the people mm-hmm. in my work mm-hmm. and, and all of those things. And so um, being able to understand how that works for me helps me better teach it so that I know how it works for my young people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much to chew on here, <laughs> uh, but some closing questions for you to consider. First, uh, what makes up your own worldview as you begin to teach young people about the Christian worldview? A little bit of check on our own barometer about when questions come from young people. How welcoming are you to their questions or challenges to the faith? And how open are we to walk alongside them during those times? And finally, how can we be aware of how media and other resources are helping form worldview and teach youth to think critically about how what they see and hear? We will continue to keep you in our prayers as you take on this challenging task of teaching <laughs> apologetics to your young people and as you help young people to develop uh, Christ as the lens for their worldview and as they live out their faith every day. Engels Podcast is a production of LCMS Youth Ministry and KFUO Radio. To find out more about LCMS Youth Ministry or to find links to resources mentioned, go to kfuo.org slash youth ministry. Thank you for listening and caring for the young people of our church. Mm-hmm.